Hey guys, it's Rich, and in a couple of minutes we'll get to the silliness and the complaints about going one and four in the Super Contest, but I just want to quickly talk about uh, what happened in Las Vegas on Sunday evening and the unthinkable, unimaginable acts that occurred, and just uh, just tell you guys that today, just be nice to people. If you're like me, you probably woke up on Monday and just felt a little helpless and sad about the world and humans and society, and maybe you thought that you couldn't do anything about it, and maybe there are things you can do. If you're in the area, there's definitely blood donations. I tweeted out uh, a link of locations if you're in the area that you can donate, but if you're across the country or even outside of the country and you're just feeling a little bit helpless today, just... Just try and be nice to your neighbor today. Um, maybe every little thing that we do can help in a small way. Um, it's it's sad. It's terrifying. And I don't know. Just uh, just, just try to be a good human. And hopefully uh, we can get all through this. So um, best wishes to everybody in Sin City. Uh, I know DP's lived there for seven-ish years. I've spent upwards to five percent of my life there so it's a it's definitely a special place and uh a shitty day but we must move on so hopefully we can give you a reprieve for today and for the week some laughter enjoy the show hello world and welcome back to grid i gamble the only podcast that puts its money where its mouth is. I'm your host, Rich Ryan, and I'm joined by one member of the collective. Everybody else is in hiding. It's Donnie D.P. Peters. I don't know if Mo is in hiding. Mo was several IPAs deep at Arrowhead Stadium last night, cheering on his chefs to a perfect 4-0 record. But Brett, after his worst week of the season, a 1-4 outing, he, uh, he, well, he may be several IPAs deep as well, even though it is... 9.30 in the morning on the East Coast, but he's, he is nowhere to be found. DP, you're here, though. You're weathering the storm. How you doing, boss? I'm licking my wounds. <laughs> Good uh, God, was that a bad weekend. Yeah, that sucked, guys. Not going to lie. One in four in week four. For the second time in history, <laughs> we dip back below 500 at 9-10-1 in the Las Vegas Super Contest. Two of them... 100% deserved, and we'll get into it in a bit. This is the recap show. We'll bitch and complain about the games that we lost. Uh, we'll even bitch and complain about the one game we won <laughs> because it was, uh, I mean, terrifying at the end. And we'll briefly look ahead to next week, and Brett will give you three fantasy takeaways from the games on Sunday. Man, we were just drawing stone dead on Browns and Ravens. Ravens, they showed some signs of life towards the end, but let, let's be honest, DP, we didn't even deserve signs of life for picking that Baltimore team. No, we didn't. Uh, that was the one game I paid the least amount of attention to in watching all the games on Sunday, and thankfully so, because I'm not sure if I would have been able to handle while watching that one, just, just you know, talking to you guys in the chat and hearing what would happen, and then every time I glanced over at that TV and just watched the Ravens just screw it up. Every time I thought that they were going to give us some sort of prayer and pull us back in, nope, they just let us down. 
And the defense played just fine. I guess we'll just start there since we're talking about it. It was 26-9, to and I think the score is perfectly reflective of how <laughs> the game went. Uh, pretty much domination by the Steelers, especially between the 20s. But uh, the Ravens, outside of that second quarter where they gave up 16 points, uh, 10 points for the other three quarters. Second half, only 7 points from Pittsburgh. So the defense really played well. You're going to look at the box score and you're going to see 144 yards and two touchdowns for Le'Veon Bell. But he got those on 35 attempts. I mean, they did a really good job of bottling him up. And that Steelers offensive line is no joke. But on the other side of the ball, I mean, Baltimore could not get anything going on offense. Flacco had 4.8 yards per attempt. 49 attempts for 235 yards. Alex Collins, save for one 50-yard run, was a, a total plotter. He went 8-for-32 other than that run and then a crucial fumble. DP, this Baltimore offense, when they're playing against another team with a pulse, I don't know how the Ravens can put together enough points to win. Against bad teams, their defense can keep them in it. But against a team that's going to break through, I always say that the most difficult thing to do in football is stop the pass. And if you're playing against a competent offense, even your best defense will give up some throws and some points. But Baltimore, man, these guys... They can't move the ball. They can't score, DP. No, I mean, they're really, really bad. I just, I don't, I mean, that was, wasn't that our fears going in? At least that was my fear going into the season was that, you know, their defense might be all right, but if their offense can't move the ball, what are they going to do? I mean, it's, it's a passing league nowadays in, in today's NFL. And if you're not going to be able to put up at least a little bit of points, you're never going to just be in these games. I mean, and they, you know, they gave up 26 to, to Pittsburgh, and that's not exactly a barn burner. It's not a high-scoring affair. Um, but, you know, the Ravens just, they can't move the ball. They can't get on the board. It, it's just a disaster on that side of the ball, and they, they really got to fix it. Mike Wallace led the Ravens in targets with 10, and then it was Ben Watson, Buck Allen, Michael Campinaro, a punt returner, Jeremy Macklin. There was one throw in the fourth quarter where Flacco just flat out missed Brashad Perriman on a flat route where Brashad would have caught it and walked upfield six yards for a likely touchdown. It's just just a really poor performance. The, the one thing I was worried about coming into this game, and I touched upon it briefly in four downs, was the London effect. And we'll talk about it in the only game we won, but the teams returning from London went 0-2, uh, both outright and against the spread, and save for some flukiness in uh, that Jets-Jags game, neither team really had any chance in hell of winning their game. So that's something we can definitely keep our eyes on moving forward if there are any other teams that opt to return, even if it's just to the East Coast, uh, from London and play immediately. The second game, which was just a, a just a total drubbing, didn't even need to pay attention to it after the first quarter, was Browns Bengals DP? I think we are permanently off the Kaiser train. I mean, what was that? That I mean, the if I'm gonna try and be positive about this game, I will say that the one thing I can take away from it is that the Browns played the absolute worst that I've ever seen them play. I mean, they went back to early last year bad, and 
they've been competitive in the first three weeks this year, and that, that was one of the reasons why you know we like them. I specifically like them, wanted to put them on the card. I mean, they were my number three, three pick, and, and I, I just couldn't fathom them being three point dogs at home against a Bengals team that hasn't looked that good. Yeah, the Bengals looked you know competitive last week against the, the Packers, but. They didn't look that good all season, and the Browns have been competitive and in their games. And yeah, the Browns lose, but that's what the Browns do. But as long as they're competitive at home, getting three points, I thought this was going to be, you know, another one of those tough divisional battles. And it wasn't. It was a total landslide, and we were on the wrong side of it. Kaiser definitely the worst game of his short career thus far. 118 yards on 34 pass attempts. That's three and a half yards per attempt. Anytime you dip below seven, you're in danger of out mode. And he was at 3.5. Again, no help from your boy, Kenny Britt. One of the most egregious drops turned into interceptions I've ever seen. He was targeted eight times, only pulled in three of them. You might be right, DP. Kenny Britt just might not be trying. I mean, watch the tape after the game. A lot of the, a lot of the fantasy gurus out there have said that whenever they've seen Kenny Britt this year, he seems to more or less just be going through the motions out there. And when, I mean, that that interception that should have been caught by him is exactly the example of what we're trying to see here. I mean, it's he's just he's not trying. It doesn't look like he's trying. I mean, I'm sorry, he's a professional athlete. He's in the NFL, but Kenny Britt, you're, come on, like you know. I don't know if he's just got, you know, the Browns blues where he's, you know, he's <laughs> shipped over there. But I mean, he came from the Rams. So it's not like right, he was exactly. exactly coming from a winning situation. Well, now they are. Now maybe he's, maybe he's just jealous. He got, he yeah, got but it. the first couple of weeks, I mean, you don't really know. I mean, yeah, the, the Rams look good in the first couple of weeks, but you don't know if they're going to, I mean, they were one and one. They, they, they blew doors against the Colts who, who are really bad. And then, you know, they, they went and lost the next game. So you, you don't know if the Rams are just going to revert to being the same old crappy Rams. And you seem to be going to a place where you're kind of on the up and up, or at least you're supposed to be on the up and up. You've been competitive in the first early games, and you just go out there and do that. I mean, that's just pathetic, man. Post-week two waiver wire darling, Rashard Higgins didn't even receive a target in this game, which is worrisome as well. On the other side of the ball, Let's look at something that maybe we can store in our pocket and think about moving forward. The Bengals, again, it's the Browns. The Bengals look really good. Bill Lazor has this offense humming. 286 yards on 30 attempts for Dalton. That's 9.5. I told you anything below 7 is is, ter- is terror territory. Anything close to 10 is alarm bells going off in a positive way. 9.5 yards per attempt for Dalton. And Mo, the the homie Mo, Tyler Croft, seven targets, catches six of them for 68 yards and two touchdowns. Something Croft. You had him in a couple lineups, DP. I did have him in a couple lineups. Uh, he helped get me get me some small caches, nothing too big. But uh, yeah, kudos to Mo for, for picking that one out of the bottom of the barrel. I mean, you just, I would have never have ever guessed that. I figured, you know, Okay, Tyler Eifert's out. They're definitely just going to look more to A.J. Green, a little bit Brandon LaFell, you know, maybe throw out of the backfield, especially with someone like a Gio Bernard. Uh, but I never would have thought in a million years that something Croft would have a game like that. <laughs> if you remove Andy Dalton's four scrambles, the Bengals had 26 rushing attempts, 17 of them 
went to Joe Mixon, who seems to be the clear bell cow now in Cincinnati. He was also targeted four times in the passing game, caught all four of them. So he touched the ball a total of 21 times. That seems like the norm. Uh, He didn't have a great statistical game. Uh, didn't find the end zone. So if you are in a PPR league and the Joe Mixon owner needs some help and you've got a two-for-one opportunity, I think Mixon is definitely an ad moving forward. One of the things I want to say about Mixon is, uh, so I've watched him play now for a couple of weeks, and I, I he looks really good. He passes the eye test, that's for sure. One particular thing that stuck out to me in this last game is he either, I think he caught a screen pass or maybe he went up, up and over the middle, but... So he caught the ball and he started to run. And I don't know, the first yard marker was five yards away or so. And he was ahead of his blockers. He actually stopped pretty much dead on the field and let his blockers pass him and get in front of him. And then he ran behind them, which you don't see that a lot with running backs. Oftentimes you see running backs, they just go because they're so much faster than their linemen. But he knew that, okay, there's two or three defenders in front of me. I'm not going to beat them. So let me let my big guys get up there first. And it was a really. It seemed like a really heady play just to be able to do that in the moment when normally it's everyone's going 200 miles an hour and just trying to get as many yards as possible. Yeah, that's the the aspect that Le'Veon Bell always gets love for when he does that jump stop at the line, lets the blocking develop in that zone scheme in Pittsburgh, and then follows his hogs to uh, to pay dirt. And yeah, Mixon, it's what Hunt has shown too in these first couple of weeks is just elite vision, and it's one of those things where it's hard to measure. You can only you can only capture it in real time in a game. You you can't capture it at combine or anything like that because it's just it's instinctual. And I don't even know if you can teach it. I, I think it might be one of those things where you either have it or you don't. I, like I don't know if Joe Mixon can explain what happens in his brain when he's out catching that screen pass and the play is developing. I I, I honestly look think at someone just, like Trent Richardson. That guy yeah. could that guy couldn't find the hole if you drew it on a map and you know gave him a compass. It, yeah. He's just, he's that guy. And that's the reason why he's out of the league and now trying to go play in the Canadian football league. It was great that hunt played. He's played two now national games and, and, and Gruden is, is I wish it was Collinsworth. Collinsworth is the goat, but Gruden showed it several times. I mean, the first cut hunt makes on every play is perfect. It's unbelievable how good that guy is. And uh, I hope he can avoid an injury like the next back that we're going to talk about because the running back position, it is just a war of attrition. And let's go to Minnesota for one of the weirder games of the day. It ends up being 14-7 in favor of the Lions. It was 7-3 at halftime in favor of the Vikings and 7-6 uh, in the second half after two field goals. And... Uh, or, excuse me, after one more field goal. And the Vikings are moving the ball close to midfield in the third quarter. Uh, Dalvin Cook has a a run that gets a first down. And then as he's cutting, he just crumples to the turf, non-contact, fumbles the ball away. One of those non-contact injuries, NCIs, that you know what happened before the trainers come out, before the MRI is done before Mike Florio or Adam Schefter sends out that tweet, you know it's an ACL. He knew it was an ACL. That is my least favorite thing in football is the the reaction shot of the player when they just know. They just know that they're headed for nine months of rehab hell. 
and hopefully after that they can get back to strength and speed that you need to play at the highest level of professional sports. It's just such a sickening feeling. Uh, and of course the Lions recover the fumble and walk in for a really nice Amir Abdullah touchdown, but 14-7 and we really didn't look back from there. Case tried to put together a drive there. Last two drives had some shots, but just couldn't convert. And then at the end of the game, of all people, Adam Thielen, the guy nicknamed Golden Hands, fumbles the ball after catching a uh, what looked like a drag over the middle. Just It's just a weird game, DP. I, I feel like we got moose, but I, I don't even know, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, this this game I was, I was watching... And I honestly, though the Vikings were losing for most of the time that I was watching and paying attention, I felt like we were going to get some sort of backdoor cover out of this one. I just, I felt like it was there. I felt like the, it was partly because I thought that the, you know, the Lions weren't exactly out there, you know, running circles around the Vikings. I thought the Vikings defense was playing, was playing fine. If they, if they could get a turnover, um, if Detroit could just be Detroit and, and screw something up, then you know, I really thought that we were going to be able to do something. I, you know, up until the point when Dalvin Cook got hurt, he was playing very well. He, you know, they seemed to the running game seemed to be working. It was it was five or six yards every time they were handing him the ball. It was great. The 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 times when they started running the ball is when they didn't give it to Dalvin Cook, um, which is I'm flabbergasted by because just give it to your bell cow back and let him do his thing. Um, I mean, he did get hurt, but that's, the, you know, up until that point, he was doing great. And then I thought it was just kind of a matter of time before Case Keenum either got on page or just hit something big with one of those receivers. I mean, Adam Thielen, Stefan Diggs, um, even Kyle Rudolph. I mean, you can you can make a lot of things happen. And, and, you know, Case isn't the best quarterback. He's out there slinging it around wildly. And you're, you know, you're on the edge of your seat and you're scared shitless half the time. But I thought I really thought that they were going to be able to pull this one through. I thought they were going to tie the game, maybe win it with a late field goal or a touchdown, but ended up not happening. After Dalvin Cook went down, I mean, you know, it just it all went out the window at that point. I still have no idea if the Lions are good. In this game, Keenum on one fewer attempt, he uh, out yards. That's that's dumb. He has more yards, ten more yards than Stafford. There we go, English, and he has double. The QBR, Case Keenum had a 46.3 QBR in this game. Stafford was 23.3. Are the Lions good, DP? I, honestly, I'm, I'm kind of in your boat. I, I don't know, right? I, I actually feel like teams that are playing against the Lions play the Lions really dumb, and they're making the Lions look better than they are because I, I just, I don't know, maybe it's just me like refusing to believe that the lions are good. That could, that could definitely be part of it. But I, you know, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't buy in. And, I, and the lions are the, that type of team where I think they're always going to screw it up at some point, whether it's the last couple weeks of the season, whether they get into the playoffs and they screw it up then, whether it's the game to get them into the play. I mean, what I feel like it's coming. Um, it, it might come next week and then it could just totally turn around from there. But I'm just, this team to me feels, I guess the word is fragile. They 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 feel very fragile. Yeah, they're doing all right. They're there, but I just I'm not really that impressed by their victories. So I can't really get on board with the Lions just yet. Um, but we'll see. I mean, that could change. I've changed on a couple teams so far this season. We're only four weeks in, but with the Lions, I'm going to need to hold out for another, uh, you know, two or three weeks before I I make a definitive 180 flip. 
one team I've flip-flopped on, I still want to like a lot. The Jacksonville Jaguars returning from London. This was my pick, but we all, we talked about it on last week's Tuesday recap. We were all fairly confident in this line. Jets plus three and a half at home somehow for the first time in his career. Not only was Blake Bortles a road favorite, but he was giving three and a half, giving the hook. And the Jets, after the first drive, looked like they were in a bit of trouble, but then we got very fortunate. Uh, Blau Powell takes a run off of the right tackle, hurdles a guy, doesn't get touched, and belly flops onto the ground. Nobody touches him, so he stands up and <laughs> runs another you know, 60 yards for a touchdown. Very fortunate play to get us to 7-7, but after it gets to 7-7, the Jets were pretty much in control the entire game. They were, in fact, 97% to win the game in the fourth quarter when disaster nearly strikes. Up 10 after a 40-yard play to Robbie Anderson. McCown looks right. He throws what should have been an easy flare pass to Powell, who wasn't looking. It uh, hits off Powell's leg, dribbles on the ground. Miles Jack picks it up for an 81-yard touchdown, and all of a sudden the Jets find themselves only up three. They're unable to move the ball. They punt. The Jags get the ball, and they actually get the ball into the end zone with Leonard Fournette, but it's called back for holding. The Jags have to settle for a field goal and then lose in one of the most embarrassing overtime periods you will ever see when both offenses did everything they could not to lose. And eventually the Jets got the ball with great field position after a Paul Puzlesny penalty on a punt return. Peter Pepper picked a pack of pickled peppers. And uh, field goal goes through from Catanzaro. Outright win for the Jets who go to 2-2. Two and two. We get the cover. DP, even when we have a game in hand, even when we're 97% to win outright as three and a half point dogs, they still make us sweat it. That was, that was, I, I don't think my heart can take many games like that. I mean, we were, we were on the right side the whole time. We, we were all very confident uh, for the first, what, three and a half quarters or so. And then we saw, you know, the Jets do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and we're all like, "Well, here it comes, here comes the Jets. Are they really? Are they really going to screw this up? Is this is this really going to happen?" The penalties started to mount. They started to let Jacksonville drive down the field when they were playing really well on defense, and you know Jacksonville couldn't get too much going. Um, you know, on offense, they just they seemed to sputter. Not that they were you know going crazy all game, but they they just they seemed to sputter. That that Cade pass to Bilal, like you mentioned, that was just like what in the hell is going on, Bilal? Why aren't you turning around and looking? What what is happening? And yeah, it seemed like it was we were going to get totally moosed in that spot, but the, the the sports betting gods, you know, they stuck with us, and then they gave us uh, they gave us our only win of the week, uh, but. Even that one was a, was a tough one to get. I keep trying to tell you guys, this Jets defense is frisky. They have, they definitely have their problem areas. Buster Scrine, currently grading at 45.6 on Pro Football Focus, is the worst. I mean, he's Buster Scrine or Patrick Chung? Who's, like, who's worse? So, so Patrick Chung at least is smart enough to be super aggressive. Right, he gets flagged a lot, which is annoying. But at least he knows his limitations, so he pushes the envelope. Buster doesn't do that as much as he should. He gets he gets flagged a fair amount. 
but sometimes he just gets beat. Like just just grab a guy, right? Well, that's the rule of uh, of Brandon Browner, right? Yeah. Just if, you're, if you're just gonna get beat, you might as well either drill the guy, pull his jersey, rip his face back, just do something. Yeah, they're not gonna call it every time, right? You gotta try. Buster is a sieve, and yes, he gets tough assignments. When they're in nickel, he's always playing inside and covering slot receivers in this league is maybe the hardest thing to do because they can get off the line of scrimmage and they usually get picked and they're moving laterally and they're hard to cover that it's why the butlers and shermans of the worlds tend to play outside and stay outside uh because they can just take somebody basically out of the play as an outside corner but if you put them inside even their terrific skills would be lessened by how difficult it is to play that position so i'll I'll give him a pass there but man, Buster, he makes some massive mistakes. But I'm telling you, these kids in the back, Marcus May and Jamal Adams, two rookies, grading currently at 74 and 80, respectively, on Pro Football Focus as rookies. These guys could be the safeties for the Jets for a decade, uh, and Jamal could be a multiple Pro Bowler. That guy is a pro right off the bat. And of course, you've got Leonard Williams and Mo Wilkerson up front. It's good to see Mo put some good games together despite the sprained shoulder. Uh, I wish the Jets would tank. I wish the Jets would suck and get a good draft pick, but I don't think this defense, save for injury, is going to do that this season. And I think they're going to stumble to five or six wins. And I think they they might be good for us uh, for a couple of weeks in some spots where they're getting overlooked. I think they might stumble to more than just five or six wins, more like seven or eight. Uh, I mean, first of all, the way that the AFC East looks is a total disaster. The Bills are in first place. The Patriots secondary looks like they have nine buster screens out there. And Miami (laughs) might as well go play in, I don't know, Europe or something. Miami is an absolute disaster. Really interesting game for the Jets this week. They go on the road to Cleveland. Seems like a classic letdown game for a team that has no business really being 2-2 two and two to go to Cleveland and lose outright. It'll be a big test to see how much control over, and I, I hate going to Narrativeville, but how much control Bowles has over the locker room and how much he can keep these guys focused and go on the road to compete against a team that they should beat. Like, let's be honest. The, the, Browns, the Browns gave up so many yards to an offensive line in Cincinnati that can't block anybody, and to something brisket, who we'll get to next, who was horrific on Sunday night. Let's go to that game. This game was, I don't care what anybody says, this game was a total moose. I was scared. Colts going to CenturyLink at night, Legion of Boom. But the Seahawks, they put together a really bad first half. They were losing going into halftime, 15 to 10. Remember, we're getting 13 points, so we're up 28 to 10 at halftime. And then it all fell apart in the third quarter. Seahawks outscore the Colts 22 to 3. They add 14 in the fourth quarter, just for good measure. Final score of 46 to 18. Jacoby killed us with the pick six in the first half. And then we get the fumble recovery touchdown. Second time in the week it happened, the open palm fumble forward happened to Matt Ryan in that Bills game as well. I was worried, but we should have covered here. This was annoying. Should have? Should have covered. 
We we should have we should have been printing money with this game. This is a friggin' joke. I'm just I'm so upset with this one. This one is. I mean, you say it was a moose. It was it was a moose. I mean, we're up 18 points at halftime when you factor in the spread. I don't. I just. I don't. I can't do anything but put this on the coaching staff for the Colts. I mean, listen, the Colts aren't exactly the best team in the world. We know that they suck, but Seattle has sucked all year. And if you're going to ask me that that second half, that is the outlier to the entire season for the Seahawks. They've sucked all year long. They haven't looked good. That's one of the reasons why we absolutely loved the fact that we were getting 13 points against this team that has not looked good at all. Yeah, they were going to CenturyLink. Yeah, Seattle's defense can turn it on. The crowd can get into it. All this sort of stuff. But Seattle looked so bad. Seattle looked like they have been looking all year through the first half, through the first two quarters. So... We were feeling great. I just, to me, it's, I just, you saw it with Andrew Luck when he was quarterback. You see it now with Jacoby Brissett. Like, I just don't think that this coaching staff knows how to manage not only just a quarterback, but an entire offensive game plan in order to give their team the best chance of winning. I mean, you're up by five, you're on the road in the second half. You need to start, you know, just kind of taking some time off the clock. Get, you know, moving the ball as you can, not dropping back seven step drops, hucking it all over the field, like having Jacoby stand back there and be a pocket passer, like he's Tom Brady or Peyton Manning. No, that's not gonna work for these guys. Like, you, it's just, I feel like they ruined Andrew Luck. I mean, not that Jacoby Brissett is exactly Andrew Luck, but they're not allowing themselves to even be competitive in these games with these stupid game plans. Simplifying the game plan seems like it would be just a non-starter, like something you would think about. Of course, we have Jacoby Brissett. We have to make this game plan as simple as possible. Look what look what the Patriots did last year when they, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo was in. He got hurt. Jacoby had to come in. I mean, it was, I think Jacoby threw seven passes that game. It was the simplest game plan. It was like Jacoby, just run around back there, you know, go on the bootleg, do the little bit of the read option. We'll win this on our defense, that sort of thing. And the Colts did did nothing, nothing like that at all on Sunday. Mo Mo is getting furious. There's there's one play in particular. The Colts are driving, and they run a bootleg throwback play. So essentially, they move the entire offensive line right. They move Jacoby Brissett right, and the play is for him to throw back, not only to the other side of the field, but deep downfield. So outside the numbers on the left hand side. And you, you just can't do that against... Oh, first of all, it's, it's tough to have a young quarterback make a play like that, uh, to have the wherewithal to get outside, set your feet, and make a big throw like that. But you can't do that against a defense with a pulse, especially Earl Thomas. The Seahawks are in single high safety. Earl Thomas just moves with Brissett. He follows his eyes, and as soon as he turns to chuck the throw, and I don't care what kind of arm you have, getting that throw across the field takes time. E.T. goes on a dead sprint as Jacoby makes that throw and nearly intercepts it. Was that when he threw it in a triple coverage? Yeah. Well, it it was it was it was the man the guy. I forget which receiver it was. I think it might have been Moncrief. It was it was if I recall double coverage, but he kind of had them beat. He had a step on them, uh, but you can't do that when the safety's Earl Thomas because Earl Thomas got behind the behind the play. Uh, and nearly intercepted it had it not been for some some guys jumping up and hitting him. Uh, and that's a, that's one of those plays where a lot of people would say, well, that's on the quarterback. You know, he has to make a better decision. He has to see that. Well, when you have a young quarterback who has been in your offense for, you know, 10 seconds, 
he's just going to go go back there and and kind of do what he's being told which on that play that's what he was being told he's supposed to roll out to the right you know he's supposed to look deep to this guy yeah it's that's like, it's like you a can't single- really blame him for that i mean he's not going to be like oh shit that reads not on i got to go somewhere else i got to do this i got to tuck and run he's not to that level yet especially when he's just changed teams he's in a brand new offense yeah exactly it's it's basically a single route play and if it's not there i guess a a more seasoned quarterback might check it down but he's always going to be looking for that first option on every play. Uh, and he chucked it, and it nearly got intercepted. Uh, this this game was, was so annoying. I, I, I wish that the, the quarters were just reversed and we just got blown out at the beginning because it was sickening to watch uh, the second half unfold. Well, and then the defense. What the what in the hell are you doing on defense? You Okay, here there's how many guys play on the field on defense? 11? Okay, <laughs> when you're rushing three and you're dropping eight, you don't need eight guys 20 yards off the line of scrimmage defending the pass. They only have four or five receiving options. You need to put a spy on a guy like Russell Wilson who's running all over the field on you. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, what are you guys doing? It's amazing. He only had four carries for 38. It felt like 40 for 30, 380. But they were in the biggest, like, they were like third and 12. Just let, let Russ run for 15. Like, what do you, you know, that, that one where he almost ran for the touchdown. Like, it's like, what are you guys doing? Frustrating. That that was the perfect cap off for a one in four week for the collective Let's take a break. Let's go to Brett. He's got some fantasy takeaways from the first quarter of the NFL season from the end of week four moving forward. Let's hand it over to Mr. Colson. Hey guys, Brett here to give you three fantasy football takeaways from an injury plagued week four of the NFL season. Number one, really upsetting news that Dalvin Cook will miss the rest of the year after tearing his ACL against the Lions on Sunday. Hopefully, if you owned Cook in season-long leagues, you handcuffed Latavius Murray as a backup. After Cook left the game on Sunday, Murray had nine touches on 18 snaps compared to Jarek McKinnon's two touches on only 10 snaps. So purely on volume, Murray is the guy to grab in this Vikings backfield if he's a free agent in your league. Just beware. The talent gap here is significant. Murray, Murray's not anything close to the player Dalvin Cook is. Might not even be playable as a flex if the Vikings decide to give an even split to Murray and Jarek McKinnon going forward. But if you're going to grab one of the two, Murray is the guy to pick up in your season-long leagues. Number two, another rookie running back on the rise. Chris Carson was placed on IR Monday with an ankle injury. Just as Carson was separating himself from a crowded Seahawks backfield, he could be done for the year as well. And once again, we're left scratching our heads trying to figure out what to do with Eddie Lacy, Thomas Rawls, CJ Proceis, and maybe now JD McKissick, who looked pretty good in limited action on Sunday. I'm leaning Rawls as the favorite to see the most touches going forward for the Seahawks, although it appears to be Eddie Lacy right now as the front runner. He ran for 52 yards and 11 carries on Sunday night. But Rawls is the more talented runner. I think he presents a higher ceiling to help you win key playoff games down the stretch in fantasy leagues. And number three, maybe Cam Newton is back. After a dreadful start to the year, Cam threw for 316, ran for 44, produced four touchdowns on Sunday against the Patriots. Donnie nailed this one in the DFS podcast on Thursday. Massive stat line for Cam, who was slinging the ball all over the field at nearly 11 yards per attempt. But let's not get too excited just yet. The Pats secondary had breakdowns the entire game. 
Cam didn't have to make a lot of tough throws. He was gifted some long plays to Kelvin Benjamin and Fozzie Whitaker early on. He does have a very favorable schedule the rest of the year, but it's not going to be this easy for Cam every week. So temper your expectations before you decide to trade for him in season-long leagues and use him in DFS lineups. All right, and we are back. Let's take a look at the Super Contest standings at a, as, at a whole, and you can do so as well by going over to FantasySuperContest.com. That's FantasySuperContest.com. And if you go to our link, which is FantasySuperContest.com slash Gridiron, you can get off 20% off $50 for the season package with the season package, you can drill down to individual player trends, picks, home away, favorite dog, and you can just mine so much data from not just this year's Super Contest, but previous years as well. Super Contest Gold, which I thought was sharp, is still probably a good way to go. The consensus picks were a bit bizarre last week, but I'm sure if you look at the team's at the top of the standings over there, they're making some sharp picks. So if you're looking for tails on the weekend, even if you are not playing in the Super Contest yourself, go to fantasysupercontest.com slash gridiron. That's fantasysupercontest.com slash gridiron. We have a tie at the top of the Super Contest standings. And this is why I did not want to mention or at least spoil that Kansas City Washington Moose last night. One of the more insane covers you'll ever see. Plus six and a half goes right out the window when Justin Houston thunders into the end zone with triple zeros on the clock on the old lateral play. And it takes schematic advantage to 5-0 for the week and 17-3 and on the season. He ties PhD Sports, who has been first now for a couple of weeks, 4-1 and on the season. There were 113 teams that went 5 and 0 last week, 262 that went 1 and 4 us amongst them. And 7, 7 people didn't enter. 7 people just giving up. No heart. No heart. There's literally money on fire in this contest. There's $10,000 just on fire right there. It's insane. You know what that um that uh that KC cover cost PhD Sports $7,500. Oh, no, that's right. The stretch contest. The early bird contest or first quarter contest or whatever the heck it's called in the super contest. Yeah. Oh. So it's a $15,000 side contest. There's a few different side contests during during the super contest itself. Um, this was was one of them. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he would have. If, you, if you're tied with somebody, you got everyone splits it evenly. So, so yeah. Man, brutal. <laughs> I mean, it's just absolutely brutal. And then, and then, if I mean, this, not that this applies to the super contest, but Kansas City gets that touchdown, and they they elect to not kick the extra points. They don't want to rub it in, and they just kneel. And the over under was forty nine and a half, and the total came in at forty nine. Yeah, I was wondering what was going on there. My first thought was, of course, there's something illumi going on. When they didn't kick the extra point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, uh, after the Justin Houston touchdown, I was like running around my apartment. And I come back, and Jenna goes, They took a knee. Why'd they take a knee? I was like, Why did they take a knee? 
and I immediately looked at the total, and there it is. That is super a loom. Somebody... I mean, you, you said it before. After they scored, after they kicked the field goal, you put it in the Skype chat. I mean... Can't wait for the Illum cover. Yeah. You said it before the kickoff even happened. I also tweeted it. I, I told all you six and a half plus seven ticket holders, hold your breath. This is not a lock. I can't believe that. that I can't believe that. that I, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't know if I'm more shocked that, you know, Washington lost the ball in that situation. I don't think I'm that shocked with that. I mean, they're going to try and win it and do some crazy lateral stuff. But the fact that Kansas City didn't just fall on the ball and not, not try and score, like they, he, they tried to score. Like he like broke a tackle on the way to the end zone. <laughs> Uh, he was Bo Jackson stiff arming people. Justin Houston was going to get those six points, no matter uh, no matter what you wanted. Uh, I like this team name. This this person is uh, tied for fourth right now. Tecmo Bowlers, I appreciate that. Also went five and zero last week. Look, it's early. Nine ten and one sucks, but we talked about it two weeks ago. Like we're still fine, right? DP, tell me we're still fine. Oh, we're we're definitely still fine. Um, I mean. I think it was last year, Damon Graham, you know, Pops, who went on to win, aka Coffee Maker, all those different different monikers he goes by. Uh, I think he was he was ten and ten after week four, I want to say, and and thirteen and twelve after week five. So, I mean, if we turn it around this week, it's I mean, it can happen. You can you can run it up. I mean, you you never know what can happen. I mean, you can, you see some crazy stuff in this in this super contest. So if if you know PhD Sports, who's you know, he's 17 and 3 right now. If we went on a 17 and 3 run over the next couple of weeks, we'd be right in the mix. Yeah, Pops was exactly 10 and 10 after week four last year. So drawing very, very live. Speaking of Pops, not the year for Pops. Not the year for Pops, but also, I mean, I wouldn't say that he's out of it. He can go on a run too. He's 7 and 13 on both cards. So it's not horrible. You know, it's, I don't think that he's going to just give up, but hey, you never know. I forgot to mention what our ranking was in the contest, and I will get it to you momentarily as FantasySuperContest.com loads. We are 1376, almost right in the middle, which makes sense at 9, 10, and 1. All right, let's peek ahead to week 5. I don't know. If, did you do your process? D? What is your process each week, DB? So my process is I I have I have each week's schedule printed out. Okay, I found a nice website that printed. puts the schedule in a nice table. Interesting. So, so that I can I can and then I I sit down and I this is something that you know that millennials would look at me and say that I'm fucking crazy, but like this is this is this is my version of when I would wake up in the morning and see my dad reading the newspaper, like drinking his coffee. Like this is, I just, I like to just have the physical printout. I like to sit down with my coffee and I like to go through and actually write down what, what I cap the games at. I, you know, I could just pull up a spreadsheet and, you know, this is probably what Mo does. Mo just probably pulls up a spreadsheet and just, you know, put some things in or he probably just looks stuff and, you know, cause Mo's the, he is the millennial of the millennials. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I sit down, I write them down, then, then I look to see what they are currently and I see where I'm off so I can get some, some of my early ideas of where, where I'm going to be leaning for the week. And then, um, after that, uh, obviously wait till, wait till Wednesday afternoon, see where the super contest lines are going to come in. Slam, um, and then, and then compare after that. And then, and then we do the picks on Thursday night. Slam F5 a thousand times on Wednesday. <laughs> Slam F5 a thousand times. 
My process is similar. No printouts. I just handwrite everything into a little notepad. Uh, I write the game. I write what I think what I think Vegas is going to make the line, and then I write the opening line from Pinnacle, and then the third column I write the Super Contest line. So, doing that process, were there any games for Week Five that jumped off the page to you? Um, no, not really. I mean, honestly, I'm a I'm a little bit. I mean, we, listen, we don't we don't do the Thursday night game, but I was a little bit. I don't know. I don't. I don't think that the Patriots should be favored by five and a half. So let, let me say that. I mean, you said, Rich, you look at the the pinnacle lines. I like to look at the Westgate lines just because I try and do everything based off of the Super Contests, and I want to see where the Westgate is. I want to see where they're going to eventually land at uh, come Wednesday. Um, I mean, I do look at the pinnacle lines as well because that is the sharp, you know, commonly known as the sharpest sports book out there. But uh, I, I mean, if we played this, the the Thursday night games, which I don't think that we should, I think that we should continue to trust the process. I, I don't see how you can have New England as five and a half point favorites. Um, that just seems shocking to me. I will probably try and place uh, a real money, a, a money bet wager, as money I would bet. say, on a on the on the on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Just I mean, just that secondary for New England. I just can't. I can't. I can't get behind it at all. New England minus eight on neutral. <laughs> that doesn't seem yeah. real. That's not, that, isn't that just what it was last week? I mean, it's just not. It's you can't. This you can't with this. The say, listen, the Patriots defense. Yeah, they'll score. They'll 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 keep their team in the games. But you're gonna see what you saw the last two weeks, and where they're gonna have to either win it or they're gonna lose it at the end. I mean, right at the end, it's gonna take. It's gonna be a one score game either way, just because their defense cannot stop anyone. My only fear in this game is that. Coming off of a loss, and this is team rankings only has data since 2003. So basically, the majority of Belichick's tenure in New England, the Patriots are 73.5% against the spread coming off of an outright loss, 36 and 13. That is impressive. When, when they're in a stock low scenario, we saw that earlier this year. At New Orleans, I could not have been banging the Saints drum any harder. I was one of many, most likely. And the Patriots go out and just drub Drew Brees and the Saints. So that is my only fear there. But I'm with you. I think that that line is too high. I'm also with you that nothing really jumped off the page to me. The only thing I was off on in trying to guess the lines was Seahawks-Rams because I didn't think they were going to give the Rams as much love as they should be. I thought they were going to make the Rams slight home dogs. I thought... They were just going to try to get public money on the Hawks, but they hung minus two in favor of L.A., which should be the line. So, yeah, I'm at a loss. I, I Maybe it's good. We had a lot of strong leans last week, and we sucked. Maybe it's good that we're puzzled. Not puzzled, but we uh, we don't think there's any layups this week. Yeah, I thought the same thing about the Rams-Seahawks. I thought that you know the Seahawks are a public, a public team. Um, everyone loves to get on them, especially after uh, – the performance last week. I mean, if you actually watched the game, you knew that the Seahawks sucked for, you know, the first half of the game. And then they finally came out and, and went nuts. And if you're somebody who just, you know, you see the highlights or you just look at the box score after the fact, you think that Seattle absolutely just went nuts, blew out the Indianapolis Colts, but for half of the game, that's not how it was. Um, and, and the Rams looked really good uh, last week. I mean, there was, there was a few times when the Rams could have totally fizzled, uh, you know, being on the road in Dallas, 
um, but they didn't. They, they played tough. They ended up winning the game, not only just sticking in enough to cover. Um, and then one of the games that I that did, it stuck out to me. Um, I mean, I wasn't too far off, but I still really like the spot if it stays in this area is Buffalo at Cincinnati. I think the Bills are sneaky good. I think they're going to be very hard out um, in, in a lot for a lot of teams. And and Cincinnati to me is I still I still don't think that they're that good. I just I feel like Cincinnati is just a straw house, just constantly waiting to crumble. There's no leadership there. They're just they seem like a mess at times. That you know they have a bunch of wild card characters that they put on the roster. It just to me Cincinnati. I'm still I'm out on Cincinnati. I tried to be in week one, but now I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. They're the Bungles. I like Buffalo here. I mean, it's not. I I, I put the line. Uh, I I capped it at minus two and a half for for Cincinnati just because of the home field advantage. But um, but yeah, I, I really like Buffalo here. I want nothing to do with this game. I think the three is perfect. I think both teams' problem areas are made even worse by the other team's strengths. I think Cincinnati's offensive line is horrific, and the Bills' front seven is treacherous. Jerry Hughes was a nightmare on Sunday for Atlanta. On the other side of the ball, the Bills, now without Jordan Matthews, they have no no dynamic ability in that offense, save for Shady. And the Bengals, let's be honest, their defense is fairly stout. Vontez Perfect is back. Pac-Man Jones is back. They have a tough front seven so i think they're gonna make life rough for buffalo and i don't know i just think you you hang the three here and this is a game real money super contest money i would not be touching with a hundred yard pole i think a lot of the games that i kind of thought that i would be liking uh, on this week's card are they just come down to stock high stock low uh, kind of irregardless of the line um so, so we'll see where we end up uh, throughout the week. If there's any big line movements, I'm interested to see where where some of these lines come in. Uh, Tennessee, Miami, uh, with Mariota's industry injury. Uh, you have Baltimore, Oakland, with Derek Carr now out, and EJ Manuel stepping in under center. Um, and then a couple of the other the other games as well, where the lines aren't solidified yet. So, so we'll see. Do you Could have be a good week though? Do you have the Vegas lines pulled up? Because I'm on Pinnacle right now. I do not see a line for the Chicago Bears. Monday night game. Mitchell Trubisky was named the starter yesterday. I'm not sure whether I haven't hung a line yet. Is it because yep, they're playing the I Vikings? don't I don't uh yeah, Vegas uh okay. the Vegas books don't have uh they don't have a lineup yet for that one. Sam Bradford knee ailments. One thing I wanted to just bring up there and talking about the Bears is teams coming off of rest, extra rest I should say, are eight and O against the spread thus far this season. So keep your eyes out for the Packers plus two at Dallas and the Bears on Monday Night Football against the Vikings. Rest is a real thing in 2017 in the NFL. Just look at how many injuries we see every Sunday. These guys getting any bit of extra rest and healing and rehab is going to go a long way. So I I keep your eyes on Green Bay and Chicago. Chicago also... You're going to get that one for the Gipper, new quarterback kind of jolt of energy as well. So they they interest me. And that's the show. Uh, Be on the lookout for Thursday's DFS show. I urge you to follow us on Twitter at GridironGamble. You can send us your picks, GridironGamblePodcast at gmail.com. Enjoy the rest of your day. Please be friendly to one another, I beg you. Take it easy. Peace. Ouch.